0: Welcome to the Full FX Podcast, Currency Matters. This edition is in association with CMC Connect. I'm delighted to be joined by Sam Horowitz, who is head of FX distribution and liquidity management at CMC Connect. Sam, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you very much, Colin. It's lovely to be here.
0: I wanted to talk to you actually about something that's I think it's it's one of those subjects that just bubbles along and has been bubbling for some time now. And it's sort of market data and the sources of said data. Because I think rather than, I mean, there were there was a school of thought that thought the importance of market data might peak when we hit a natural ceiling and everyone had enough. You know, enough is good enough, if you know what I mean. Um, but actually it continues to grow in importance for LPs in the FX market. But I guess what's happened is it's come against a, a background of a, you know, long-term decline of the primary trading venues, which are still an important source of market data. Yeah, you know, their volume numbers are down quite considerably over the years, which I guess means that for firms like yourself, um, looking for market data, there are questions to be asked. And I guess you know what I'm trying to do today with you, hopefully, is um, try and maybe cut through some of the noisy debate that we're seeing over the values of these venues and the data that they're producing, and sort of where you can go, what the avenues are for firms like CMC Connect. So we've discussed previously how CMC Markets' liquidity provision business is growing. And I recall last time we spoke, you know, you're very firm that you're a data-driven firm. So are you also monitoring and discussing the situation as laid out by that rather long introduction?
1: Yeah, well, naturally, we do have a stake in the outcomes of this. Um, and as you said, it's, this is this isn't a new thing. This is this is a, a market paradigm that's been rumbling along for as long as there's been an electronic market. And the you know do the primaries still constitute primaries aspect of that has been a good ten or fifteen years in the making. I think where we are now is is a result of people expecting something to happen which didn't, which was that we had a wave of. Acquisitions of the secondary ECNs by exchanges, you know, over the last, of course, the last you know five ten years, and they brought with them some exchange-like governance, and everybody thought, okay, fine, that will mean they'll morph into quasi-primary. So they'll be full-time in sales, market data, much more you know, price discovery on on a lit basis. They'll they'll evolve to be much more like central club products, and we kind of got halfway there, but not all the way there, which means that people are still baking in. Quite a reliance on the the primaries, true primaries, into their price construction and their alpha. Seeing waiting for that situation to evolve.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, the evolution is interesting because you know, I mean, a couple of the venues that you mentioned there being acquired by the primary exchange, by sorry, by exchanges, still have a, a majority of their flow under Last Look. I mean, does Last Look throw a spanner in the works when you're looking for seven different sources of data?
1: I don't think any of this stuff throws a spanner in the works. I think it's ju- it just creates some characteristics of the data that you need to be able to model when you look at what, what's important to your own business. And that's just, that's true of CMC Connect, and it's true of anyone else who has a principal business and, and you know, even a reseller business. I, d- I don't view it as a massive problem as such. It's just that you need to you need to understand the nuances of each of the different data sources that you connect to.
0: So it kind of adds a complexity rather than you know a challenge.
1: Yeah, it's just it's just one more facet to data. I mean, and and to be honest, the the more that the tools to work with this data evolve, the less it, it's a massive problem.
0: So, I mean, for, in that case, then what would constitute high quality data for your business? Yeah, you know, could you outline yeah you know, what you think the key characteristics are to to help you produce and distribute a good price, which ultimately is what we're talking about here, isn't it?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, we we have the same requirements as lots of other firms. I think that it needs to be overall, it needs to be reliable in its, in its delivery and its characteristics, needs to be consumer agnostic, probably. It needs to sit high enough up the food chain that it isn't comprised of a load of Mirage, liquidity and mirage transactions, or you know, or just, you know, incidental transactions. To a certain extent it needs to be delivered in a format that we can work with, although the tools for normalizing it are better now than ever. So that, again, that's it's one of those problems that fades away for a firm that's got the the clout to deal with it. Um, and stability is extremely important as well.
0: The normalization is an interesting thing, isn't it? Because the, is it fair to say that normalization would look a little bit different for each firm, each consumer of data? Or or would you say, generally speaking, everyone's on the same page?
1: Broadly speaking, there's there's kind of a couple of different types of normalization. In w- the way most people use this is, is to make different shaped data fit into, a you know, lots of square pegs to fit into round holes. So we we don't have any particularly unusual
0: requirements in that respect. I guess, you know, we have been mentioning this sort of you know noisy debate around you know market data and, and in particular the primaries with their volumes going down. Do you think, I mean, is there a threshold at which and this could be the same for, you know, those those platforms seeking to rise in in this space as well, is there a threshold, you know, at which the value of market data and the cost sort of come into balance, and then I would imagine you know, there will be a trend involved, so they'd cross over and, and keep going that way. I mean, do you kind of look at it and go, "Yeah, when this platform gets to that level, it's either a very good source of market data, or actually it's declining importance even further."
1: Yeah, I mean, every the, the, the facile answer to this is, of course, there's a there's a threshold value because you you take any any venue as primary or you know a lit sort of reputable secondary ECN. If their market data costs were zero and the integration overhead was zero, everybody would consume. And if it were a zillion quid an hour, nobody would consume. so there's a, there's a number in the middle where you know heuristically or or however you want to define it algorithmically that that where that that makes sense. Um, where that makes sense really depends on the venue and also what what you're trying to do with that market data. And you know you can you can test for alpha. You can test to see whether that contributes anything meaningful to your own price construction that you didn't already
0: have. I, it, it's interesting because I look at it and think to myself, something I've been thinking was coming for some time and still hasn't here, I have to I have to stress, it's not the first time I've predicted something, it's taken a lot longer than I thought to uh, come to fruition, is um, more competition around market data and perhaps pressure on the costs. I mean, are you seeing signs of that starting in the market or am I still waiting another few years?
1: I think I think you're seeing signs of pressure on the the costings to the primaries, and it's it's not so much the headline cost you know, but it's like yeah. it's like a hotel, nobody pays the rank rate. It's more a propensity to work with uh, the consumers to work out what exactly is it that's valuable and to try and distill an offering down to that. And that's partly because they they know they can't just sit sit um in a high tower and charge you know a ton of money for a product that doesn't doesn't meet people's actual bottom line needs and also because the, the the tools available to the data distributors to to customize that better than they were um so both both of the primary venues have have instances now where they work to, to do something a bit more flexible um i think where a lot of people and this is this comes back to the point we made at the start i think where a lot of people were surprised is how the secondary markets haven't quite grasped the opportunity inherent in their own data sets Equally, let's say some of them, you know, some of them do, some of them don't. But it's it's certainly not a wholesale part of their product suite in the way that it is for the primaries.
0: It's a question I've asked many times previously and never really got that sort of clear answer about you know either yes, you know, we're going to really hit the market data business hard, or no, it's not really part of our plan. I'm not quite sure why. I guess that will play out in time. Do you actually think there's room? I mean, obviously. In typical foreign exchange fashion, many I suppose, we look at things through a binary lens. Sorry, I lead a discussion through a binary lens. I'm sure you don't look at things through a binary lens. But where we're looking at up-and-coming providers and existing providers, is there actually a third way, potentially, where we look at constructing a new sort of data source for the FX market?
1: This is the roundabout way of having the central take debate, isn't it?
0: I guess there's variations on it, but yes, I, I suppose that thing we've had a tape and it. I guess the challenge it had was it had a lot of white noise. Was my feedback, which which you know, kind of diluted its value. You know, is there a, is there a third way out there?
1: I don't think there's any single golden bullet third way out there because you know smarter people than you and I have looked at this already and and not found something that the whole market can broadly buy into. Um, and it is the nature of OTC FX it it's just it is what it is there are so many legitimate proprietary data sources out there there's there, no one can construct a single algorithm that that folds them all in in the correct way to to reflect the true market in a commas cause there are there are multiple markets so i don't I, I don't see that as happening it's interesting obviously the you know this is this is gaining pace in the uk in, in regulatory terms in in equities and fixed income um, and yet, we're still not seeing any suggestion, really, from the regulators that they have any desire to grab hold of FX and and, and go down that path. I think it's partly that's a, a regulatory resource thing. They've barely got enough people to to address the central taking in fixed income and equities adequately. So, grasping the nettle that would be forcing the FX market to do this, probably not something they're staffed for. Um, but what you might get, you know, five years from now, you might get a knee-jerk reaction. Driven more by politics than anything else, saying, look, I don't care that we haven't got resources. This is mad that we haven't got something. But what it would look like is different. I I personally I think what it should look like if we ever got to that stage isn't the most high spec thing in the world. I think it's it's like saying, what's what's the correct level of service provision for the NHS, for example? And and for me, they, you know, it is you should be able to get something that performs at a basic level that's free at the point of consumption to all central tape should be that it shouldn't be shouldn't be every primary source in the world folded in with uh you know some massive feedback loop machine learning algorithm cleaning the thing the data points it should be a highest frequency pretty reliable data source that's not going to be good enough for every participant out there but it's going to put everybody who wants it on a level playing field
0: but then <clears throat> there's also a challenge the other end of that isn't there um where for instance if i'm a Corporate or an asset manager, and I do a particularly large trade. Let's say, you know, I do something that's going to take a a fair time to clear for the for the LP. I mean, call it a couple of yards of dollar stocky or dollar knocky or whatever. The last thing that LP needs is that tape, is that trade going through a tape when they're still trying to clear the risk. That would also make people more reluctant to quote for risk transfer of bigger tickets, wouldn't it?
1: Yeah, but I mean, this this is again. This is going back to the fact there's nothing new under the sun, and that this is not a problem that FX has to solve that equities don't have to solve. For example, it's the same. It's the same challenge essentially for the same for exactly the same reasons. The only difference is the size threshold for this to be a thing in FX might be at times a little higher. But yeah, absolutely. You don't you don't want to do that when when that's going to affect market outcomes for you know certainly for clients that you've got fiduciary responsibility to. Um, now, part of, that, part of that responsibility lies with the buy side and the way they execute. But part of that responsibility definitely lies with the way that sell side contributes its data.
0: I, I remember someone saying to me, I, they found it hilarious that they produce the data and then pay for it to be given back to them, which I guess is another challenge down the road somewhere that someone might, might have to get into. I want to pick up on something you said earlier, actually. You mentioned proprietary data. And and I guess that a lot of that lies around sort of, you know, or is allied to internalisation, but does that become an even does that become a differentiator for you in terms of your ability to win business? You know that those internalisation levels, that proprietary data that you know, as you say, nobody else can have.
1: Actually, weirdly, and, and uh, I'm glad that you've asked this question because obviously we like a bit of gentle debate as well. I think it's completely the opposite. Interestingly, okay. I think that the more that the big institutions go down that road, and it's not to say that's not a good road in terms of you know their overall bottom line, their revenues, but the more they do that, the less interesting their data becomes, actually, because it's, there's less of it is interacting with the outside world. You know, if you're trying very hard not to externalize and not to hedge any flow, whatever you have in your in your outgoing market data that's not just the same midpoint as everybody else has got is less and less relevant because it's not going to move the market. So you know, I think. As as an analogy, I, I worked in the early 2000s for a AAA-rated bank. Uh, and somebody once came up to me and said, well, it must be great. You must have absolutely tons of FX flow because you're AAA-rated. And the r- real money people must be falling over themselves to trade with. you." I said, well, actually, what happens is is the opposite. Because almost no one else is AAA-rated. The pension funds can't mandate XYZ fund can only trade with AAA-rated institutions. Otherwise, they'd never have anyone else to trade with. So, the you know, the point of difference became... A millstone and i and i think that's it, it, in broad terms that's what can happen with with these internal dark pools and, and people saying that that gives them a load of extra interesting alpha in the price it doesn't it gives them it gives them a good ability to absorb risk and and become you know become a good risk transfer partner for you but it doesn't mean that pricing
0: information is very interesting i mean somewhere down the line does does that do those businesses become standalone in their own right As a, you know, there's there's a lot of debate around there about you know banks effectively selling technology being technology providers, um, you know could large LPs become data sellers?
1: I think only to the extent it doesn't interfere with what's the bread and butter. I think the minute if if you're a firm like that and, and if you're talking about non-bank LPs, large non-bank LPs, if that's what you're doing, then. You're either going to be selling something that has real IP in it, in which case it's probably going to be to the detriment of your own alpha, or you're going to be selling something generic, in which case the risk is you're disintermediated. Um, so I think I think the actual private firms becoming data vendors, data pure data vendors, no. Technology partners, we are seeing more of those deals being done now, white label type deals and JV type deals. to For medium-sized firms who want to do something that's slightly less commoditized, uh, where you wouldn't just rent a whole vendor's product. There's more interest to do bespoke JV type deals with the big banks, I think, going forward.
0: And I guess also, yeah, they, they might, if they did go that day through, they could end up with the same challenge as the primaries, whereby, as you say, a lack of differentiation in the data, the fact it's less interested means they can't actually get the kind of dollars they wanted for it in the first place. So there's a nice full circle for us. Another thing I wanted to pick up on one of your earlier comments, Yeah, what's happening in equities and fixed income? Um, I mean, obviously, the back the the backdrop to that is regulators really pushing for full transparency in markets. Do you think the lack of the the relative lack of transparency? I mean, I I, I don't buy this whole FX isn't transparent. My mum can tell me what Aussie Sterling is, for instance. But it's like, do you think that you know, the opaque elements of foreign exchange data will grab the regulators' attention in time?
1: Not necessarily, but I think sometimes the reason things do and do do and do not grab the regulator's attention are as much resource-based as anything else, because this stuff is complex and the the regulators hire, they don't hire enough people, they don't retain enough people as far as I can see, for the reason, you know, because they're not hiring enough, so they're making a poor working environment. And the, probably the types of people they're hiring aren't always going to be able to get down in the weeds and, and unpick what is a pretty complex problem. Um, also, like I said, I think I think the solution to that would be to create something much more basic than people keep talking about, um, and have it do eighty percent of the of the work for the first twenty percent of the effort. That's that's for me where the sweet spot lies is is in knowing you know approximately where the mid should be on a high enough timescale that you could own your own TCA without having to pay for it. Um, construct things internally. I think that's what you want to do. You want to democratize all of these processes, so that nobody can say that money was the barrier for them gaining control of their executions.
0: I get nervous when I hear the word democratization purely simply because I then think we end up with a homogenous vanilla products where everything's the same, and and you kind of wonder how yeah you know, how the market evolves from there. I guess I'd like to close out with by asking, how happy are you with the current structure around market data? Does it give you the opportunity still to grow at a significant rate, which I guess you have been for the last couple of years? Does it allow or does it put a ceiling on the business until you know, we solve this market data problem?
1: No, I don't think it puts a ceiling on the business. I think, if anything, as you say, the, the lack of homogeneity at the moment means that there are always inefficiencies that people can exploit. There are differences in outlook and differences in propensity to assume risk, differences in how people manage risk. To be honest, all of those you know, coalesce to be, you know, to be an overall client experience when they trade with you and, and transfer risk. And that's what people really care about. The, the downstream clients don't care as much about the nuances of what the data is and how it's constructed as as we do, because it's our job to care. So they care that you have you give them a great experience. It's a breadth of product, it's a reliability of pricing, it's it's a quality of pricing, etc. Um so as long as the market isn't functioning in a way that actively prohibits our firm from Trying to deliver that then you know we're happy with it it's it's just it's a background that we work with
0: and i guess you know the the important element is to be able to evolve as that structure evolves itself
1: yeah and i think to, to a certain extent that you can do something about so that you can you can choose to be more or less actively engaged with the people who run the ecns and have your voice heard and and you know be further up the food chain when it comes to discussing what market structure might look like and getting information in a more timely fashion that you know what people really hate is when the people in the market flip-flop that you know two year plans become one year plans become okay I've cancelled x y z um and the primaries have done that at times um occasionally in very short time frame and that's that's hard because that hits ever more stressed tech budgets and you know business plans. So I think having having a game plan and executing it and being relatively consistent on it is the single biggest thing that the, the you know the earth Wild primaries and the ECNs can do to to keep everybody happy that's consuming their product.
0: I think that goes for just about any aspect of the business. If you're a service a service provider, Sam, great as always to talk to you, and thank you for some fascinating insights there. Definitely giving me food food for thought, and I'm sure it has our listeners as well. Been great talking to you.
1: As always, Colin, it's been my absolute pleasure. Thank you very much.
0: Thanks, everyone, for listening to the podcast. Uh, We'll be back again soon.
1: Thanks for listening to the Full Effects podcast, Currency Matters. This edition was brought to you in association with CMC Connect. You can download the podcast or subscribe through Apple or Spotify, or catch us on the website, thefulleffects.com.